0: I think culture is essential, right? And creating a culture of security goes way beyond just development, but really the, the entire company, you, you really start, you know, creating awareness and make sure that the idea of security is always called out in every single interaction that you can have from a good angle. It's not just there to be there, but really providing valuable feedback for people.
1: Greetings, listeners, and welcome to Seeding AppSec, the podcast where we discuss the latest trends in application security and talk shop with AppSec leaders and practitioners from around the globe. Seeding AppSec is brought to you by Arnica, a leading application security solution changing how AppSec teams approach risk identification and mitigation. Arnica is shifting the AppSec paradigm with real-time pipelineless risk identification and Git posture management, allowing teams to protect their developers, their code, and their products while maintaining development velocity. Check out arnica.io to learn more. In the meantime, sit back and get ready for another enlightening journey into the world of application security.
2: All right. Welcome to another seating app set. We have a very special guest today who you know, I've recently learned goes way back with our trusted leader Nir here. But before we jump in, I'm Simon Wenin. I lead growth at Arnica. We've got Nir, the CEO uh, of Arnica. And with us today, we have Cassio Goldschmidt, the CISO of Service Titans. So uh, Cassio, can you give us a bit of an introduction? Yeah,
0: so uh, first, uh, such a pleasure to be here with you, Simon, and here. I've been in information security for several years now, I think almost two decades, and I started as an engineer and then moved to AppSec, and now I'm the the CISO, uh, as you mentioned, for a company called Service Titan.
2: Excellent. Well, I'd love to start, Cassio. You mentioned you started as an engineer, you're the CISO at Service Titan, there's a lot in between there that I'd love to have you walk us through. How did you end up in security and leading security teams ultimately? Yeah. So
0: I think, you know, the passion for computers, like most of us, start when I was, you know, very, at a very young age, a teenager, I start programming and just fell in love with programming instead of the games. And when it comes the time to go to college, it was kind of obviously what I wanted to do. So I became a software developer and started developing things back in Brazil, which is my my homeland. And then I got an opportunity to go to Cisco, which at the time was one of the most valuable companies in the world, to actually be a software engineer there and work for a company called the Information Systems Advanced Technology Group. And there was able to do a lot of, you know, very interesting development. And one day got a call from Symantec, which was at the time, one of the biggest companies in security in the world. And when you move to a company like uh, Symantec, uh, developing uh, elegant code and secure code are quite synonymous, right? Meaning people really value a code that's secure because they are being attacked all the time. And that's where I did the shift to security. And there was the opportunity to become the senior manager of the application security team worldwide, which I took it Um, from then on. I think the company was just ahead of everybody else because they needed to be in that sense of, you know, uh, security development lifecycle and so on. Then pretty much the the rest is history.
2: Excellent. So, I mean, that to me, just in my understanding of the history, sounds like that was really on the cutting edge before application security was even necessarily a formal categorization in the security world. Is that fair to say?
0: Yes. I think uh, a lot of things called what we call security development lifecycle, we were already doing. We just didn't have a name for it. I would go to other managers and say, hey, here's all the stuff that we do right, for you and to make your code secure. But uh, yeah, it's just a bunch of services. And when Microsoft actually coined the term and came out with they go, Ooh, now I see all the, yeah, I see the forest and because I was selling trees before. So that was a very interesting moment. And after that, you see, you know, a, a number of other projects that came, the BCM project from Sigital, OWASP had its own project, Sam, right? And it was really nice to see that industry start marching towards that. And all the, the changes that happened over time with faster development, deployment, shift
2: left and then many other things that came along the way. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, in light of how far we've come, I guess, we've talked a lot about the term shift left on this podcast. We've talked about it in the context of, you know, is it a buzzword? Is it a critical motion? What I'd love to hear from you is how do you think that the shift left movement has been successful or unsuccessful? And In what areas do you hope to see the most improvement in the coming years? So like any good idea in this space, it
0: is something, but it's also buzzword, because unfortunately people misuse it, right? And make something that is really important that people should be thinking about suddenly sound like a meaningless term, which is very unfortunate, right? From my experience, it makes sense to actually inform developers and notify people as soon as possible whenever something is wrong. At least, you know, from the time that I was actually developing code, whenever I found something and it was still fresh in my mind, it would take a, a less time to fix, right? Because I, it was really in the code base. And I didn't have to go back and think, okay, how does this work again? And as much as we write documentation so on, you have to actually get to that mindset again, and, and having a bug that was filed two months later if you're doing something you know following a waterfall model, is just really painful to go back. right? So I think that pushing things left makes a lot of sense. The problem that I see is that for a lot of institutions, it be- shift left became throwing garbage over the fence. Right, and let developers deal with it and not really do the work that they should be doing. It was just, you know, shifting unfinished work. And that's not the right way of doing, right? The right way of doing, as I see, is for example, ship left a couple of things, such as, let's give an example, hard coded passwords, right? You want to find those things as early as possible. Because if you find early, you can actually prevent it from going to the Remote Depot, right? And having it, I'm going to say it spread and you know, such that you have to then clean up histories and things like that. And if you can't do that before it's actually submitted to the Remote Depot and you notify the developer in privacy, you actually avoid a lot of embarrassment, right? Which is great. People are going to do mistakes and you just don't want them you know, to be like, hey, everybody, you know, John just did the mistake and it's pointing to his point code. So that's also, there's a uh, benefit of not only catching fix early, being able to fix things, you know, as soon as they are found, but also prevent the, you know, issue being spread out and the embarrassment for developer.
3: You know, I have so many things that you just said that, that are so, so interesting to double click on. So we mentioned that you developers should get the feedback as early as they can and not necessarily down the line, which is also interesting because everyone talks about shift left and the meaning is let's just shift the automation left. But I think that what you are referring is let's shift the effort left, right? Um, which is completely different than just running tools. It's, uh, you mentioned, you know, uh, fixing a bug or fixing a, a uh, hard-coded secret, if you can give it in the, and that's the second thing that you mentioned, if you give it in the context of the state of mind that I'm in, meaning as I write the code, as I push the code, whatever, in that case, it would be ideal, you know, for the developer to get that feedback and comment on that. I do want to raise another topic that maybe can take us to different directions with this, but you know, when we're talking about shift left, there is essentially a couple of ways to do that, to get to that point where you're shifting the effort left. One way is going to the IDE, right? You can go to the Visual Studios of the world and uh, maybe have pre-commit hooks on the workstations. But then, I mean, what are the chances that all developers will have those on their workstations? I mean, maybe fairly low. But then the other way around is to go to pipelines, which is, you know, everyone has a funnel, they go to the specific repo and push code and things just automate themselves. But it works for one repo. Maybe five, forty, how do you get all of them or all of them that are important? Because every time that someone creates a new repo, you're missing the automation unless you have a certain process in place. So and there's another way that is one do the Arnica thing, but another way would be like really maybe webhook based and event based. So wanted to hear your thoughts about what do you think about the pros and cons, maybe. Things I, I didn't think of and how you shift the effort left.
0: Yeah, the webhook page sounds like a, a really good idea, right? Anything that you can do that is in the unavoidable path for the developer and it's before things are actually committed, I think it's a good way of doing things. The ID has also some advantages sometimes depending on what you do. So, you know, it it really depends on what kind of vulnerabilities you're talking about. But as you mentioned, you know, the IDE or efforts such as deploying things for every single repo out there can be very costly. And quite frankly, if you are in a large organization, you cannot guarantee things, which is also something that is really hard to do, right? One of the things that I always worry when making claims as a CISO is to say, I have 100% coverage, because it's so hard to actually get it unless you really have some specific points where you can hook things up, right? Then you can say, okay, there's no way that people can pass this place without that. And and that is uh, very powerful for everybody because it personally, it makes me sleep better.
3: Yeah, that's true. And I think you mentioned one more thing that I wanted to, to, to touch on, because I, I know that you and I both experienced, though, the issues, there's a lot of, you know, garbage in, garbage out that comes with tools and some approaches can be, you know, let's give the OPSEC team to, you know, to look at the issues and decide how to manage the backlog. Other approaches can be, you know, let's empower the developers to make the decision. And there's something in the middle, maybe... And part the developers to dismiss issues, or maybe suggest a dismissal if there is a false positive, and then the AppSec would maybe approve that. So what are your thoughts about what is a good balance when you work with engineering teams, when, you know, those things pop up and let's say you got to the place that you notify the developers and their state of mind, what would be the ideal approach?
0: Yeah, so empowering people is always a, a good idea. And funny you mentioned because I'm right now taking a leadership course at in at Wharton, and that's one of the main points they make. It's you know how you empower people in order to actually give make you know a effort legitimate. But in any case, if you want to do that, you need to have trained developers, people who really understand what they're doing, in order to do you know provide a solution i see for example at service titan that we have some architects that come with solutions to us and we verify the solution and say yeah this is good let's do it and because they have this ownership they actually feel more involved in in what
3: they are in in what they are creating that's super interesting so so how do you actually motivate them to come to you and and ask you that hey this is a this is what we're this is what we're going to build and what do you think about it
0: yeah, so the way we do this is we have the weekly process where people present all their uh, enhancements in, you know, related to development. Some of them are related to security and the, the team is always part of this meetings. We involve all the developers and people do put a lot of effort writing the documentation and presenting what they are going to do next. So that's one of the ways and just build trust, Right. If people trust that you know your stuff, that you are not throwing things over the fence for them, they will come and ask your opinion and they will ask how to best create or develop solutions. So that's the other part that's important is to always keep up to date on, you know, the latest development and think that sometimes then the solution is not what you've been preaching, but really to innovate out from the old mindset that you had and you know use new technology in order to to
3: abandon or to how you say eradicate the problem that you had in the past and you know the, the way i'm thinking about it is you know you led appsec teams i had appsec teams and and one of the things that i've kind of been thinking about is how do i make sure that the let's say the high caliber that i have on the team and i know that you do have high caliber on your team how do they maximize their time in a way that for maybe, you know, the minor things would be approachable or resolved by the engineering teams, but the really difficult decisions where it requires a bit more of those high caliber expertise, then you'll need to engage the AppSec team. So, so I wonder what do you see in terms of the benefits of how a team should be structured when you actually have, you know, garbage in, garbage out, whether you should have different skill sets in the team or if you want to go fast, you need to take a different approach, or safe and trusted. Yeah, so for the garbage in, garbage out, I think a lot of
0: the automation that you need needs to be trustworthy, right? I've seen, for example, a static code analysis that will provide you everything under the sun, and you know there's a lot of false positives, and if you have tools that are actually not providing you the right information, you lose trust in, in, in those tools. So that's one of the things that you want to avoid as much as possible. A lot of times, people say, "Hey, there's the tool that will catch everything." There's the other one; they'll catch things that are high fidelity and high with high confidence. I know that they're you know things they need to fix. In my opinion, it's better to start with those tools and then slowly, you know, get to the nitty-picky details that you might need to actually uh, address.
2: So I, I've, I'm really curious to know, we've talked about empowering developers and the relationship between developers and AppSight. What does an empowered developer look like? And do you have any major success stories that you can share of how that's played out?
0: Yeah. So I think one of the stories that I have is that recently one of our developers presented a proposal to change the architecture of the product. And that was one of those meetings that I mentioned that we have every, every week he came prepared with a document that was, you know, about 20 pages long, we explained everything, and it was very interesting to see that it really reduced the potential for information leakage in case there was a data breach. It simplified overall architecture for everybody and at the same time gave more independence to the developers and you know, the code was separate in discrete sets of product functionality too which would give us the opportunity to do things such as micro-access to some parts of the code. And that just came from, from one of the, the architects. We look at that, we review it, we had some questions about the implementation and so on, and we approved. And it's really great to see that developers who come from sometimes bigger companies or have this education security, which kind of lacks in our industry, Uh, can actually think about, you
3: know, code is elegant and secure at the same time. You know, one of the things, I I just have to take it to a side side comment. Uh, We've been playing quite a lot with, you know, Copilot and ChatGPT, and and we saw also, you know, customers using, uh, you know, Copilot and ChatGPT. And at least at the beginning, we noticed that there's a lot of SaaS issues that were popping up. And the main reason is because not the developers were not educated maybe that was part of the reason but it's just the code samples that they've got were vulnerable and on the flip side if you educate them as you mentioned if you educate them you can get to the point that they understand the big picture of what they should care about and there are maybe like two big differences between the security practices there's one that is secure coding and there's the secure design so I think that you referred to the secure design piece of it, which is, how would you ensure a secure coding?
0: Yeah, so secure coding, you know, it's ensure with static code analysis, security review, and looking at different things, such as what kind of components are used, whether secrets are embedded, right? And it's really important to have those things as part of, you know, as integrated in the process as, as possible. So those are, you know, some of the things that we do making sure that those things also happen is very important, right? So for example, just because you have in your process a milestone, which is code review, people could just rubber stamp that, right? Then go and say, hey, five, you know, two minutes, I code review this source code that is like 10,000 lines of code. Maybe not. So if something like that happens, it's nice to have some sort of alarm saying, I don't think this is being actually done with the, or taking, you know, this activity is not being taken with the seriousness that it deserves. And that's, those are, you know, important things to have in your process as well. Just looking at
3: the human factor and that things can actually be rubber stamped. Interesting point on top of that. So we did quite a lot of research around open source repositories and the contributions for those repositories including the pull requests. And, you know, we, we measured multiple metrics, such as how the mean time to respond, you know, impacts the productivity of the teams and such. And one of the things that we noticed is that the high percentage, and we're saying high percentage is about 30-ish percentage, percents of certain big repos, such as Kubernetes, and we averaged all of that. We noticed that percentage actually includes the comment LGTM. It is approved. It is reviewed, but it's just, hey, it looks good to me. And you never know whether it was a real review or not, which puts me maybe in a different topic. I mean, there is obviously the security of the product, the, the piece that you deliver the as the company product, right? So that's one thing, but the, there is another area that you just highlighted that, that seems to be also important, which is how do you ensure that your Git posture is the one that you expect it to be, such as, you know, you have the pull request reviews, maybe enforced. So I wonder if you'd be willing to share what type of things you think should be, you know, considered by every company when they look at the good posture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that being one, Another one that that is important these days, especially for, you know, bigger companies, is the person who is actually, you know, checking the code is actually the person, right? Was the account compromised? And one of the things that I've seen, you know, that I thought was pretty innovative with Onika was the fact that you look at the styles of the comment that the person put when they are actually checking in code. To see, hey, this doesn't seem to be the same person or you know, there's something here that looks funny, and try to alert if something like that happens, right? So ensuring that, you know, those things are happening can be quite valuable for a number of you know companies, especially the big ones where they can be a target, such as the solar winds and many others out there, right? Because there's no way to really prove that the code that was written by a developer is the same that is going to you know
3: to your production yeah that's thanks for highlighting this of course <laughs> but i i completely agree on the you know on on the different areas that you should look at of course there is the security of the developer but there's there's also the security of the of the branching strategy i'll just put it this way so pull requests, reviews, enforcement, maybe even, you know, specific status checks, if you use any of the major SCMs, right? There's one thing I did notice that is actually happening out of band or should hopefully happen out of band. I noticed that initially when I had a lot of conversations about hardcoded secrets, I asked many companies, how do you do that? And, and the recurring answer was, oh, we put it in the pull request. And everything I had in my mind is it's too late. It's already in the repo and maybe the pull request was opened a month after the, someone was working on that feature branch. So I just had to throw that comment because we just shifted to that topic. I'm not going to derail it anymore, but there is a shift between even what you do and where you want to do those. things.
0: Yes, no, absolutely. And that. You know, although a lot of people right now are challenging the fact that it costs more to fix things later, I think intuitively that uh, principle holds, right? And just the fact that you contaminated your repo is actually a, a big proof because then you have to remove that secret from all the history, right? And that's something that a lot of companies, unfortunately, still miss. And, you know, there are plenty of tools out there they will find secrets, given the history that is in that, you know, repo. So that's a really good point.
1: I'd love to
2: pivot it just slightly here. You know, there's the famous line, show me the incentives, and I'll show you the outcome from Charlie Munger, right? And I, it has felt like the incentive structures for security and developers have had misalignment in the past. But I think there's a lot of energy, a lot of effort going into realigning those incentives i'd love to hear from you Cassio, where you feel like that realignment is occurring and maybe what are some successful paths that you see towards alignment of those incentives sure yeah
0: i I think one of the important things to start is why there is this misalignment why you know security is saying one thing and developers are doing another and there are a number of reasons that go way beyond being lazy, which I don't think developers are. That is happening. You know, the first one is that developers, most of them, are measured by the number of features they deliver, not by the security quality of the features they deliver. In fact, security most of the times is invisible. You you just don't see it, right? And what goes in your yearly or uh, semi annual uh, semi annual review is really. What what you deliver, right? And that is true because whenever you compare two products in the company and you see those those charts, those tables comparing, you see you know uh, the feature set of those products. Product A does this, product B doesn't. Product A is a better product, right? And that's the way the industry thinks. And the third part is that a lot of things, a lot of products today, they want to become a platform. They want to you know become the base where all the other products plug it into so they stay they have this stickiness to their nature right and in order to do that if you want to get partners to invest the time to do things to your to your platform it needs to the entry to that platform needs to be really simple and a lot of times simple means no security or you know lack, lack of security because security quite frankly is, is something hard to get right. And if you enforce a lot of security in the beginning, people will throw their hands up, you know, up and say, no, I'm not going to do it, especially if you are a new entrant, right? So what can you do to realign the incentives? I still think education and awareness is really important. And I think we already covered the education part. But the awareness, it goes beyond. I think it's about the negative incentives that are out there, and what I mean by that is the loss related to data breach, the company reputation, right? The developers being derailed from what they have to do to actually get the new features out, is something that is really important and not always emphasize if something goes wrong, everything that can actually you know happen with it. So that's one of the parts. The other one is automation. I think as, as much as you invest in education, people will do mistakes. I will do mistakes. Everybody is going to do mistakes, it, you know, to where is human. So you need the, the automation out, uh, there in order to make sure that you have the equivalent of your seatbelts, your ABS in the car and ideally we need to relieve the developers of the additional work by fixing tasks with their natural workflow it needs to be something that is just part of what they do and you get security done as part of that right and the other one is on us we you know we talk so much about developers and what they should do but i think true second engineers need to be engineers and uh, a lot of people get into security and they, you know, never develop code and there's no empathy, there's no real experience, there's no understanding. Or sometimes there is, and uh, they just stop along the way and think, okay, I- I'm just dealing with security. I'm no longer going to, you know, get my hands dirty and understand what's going on. I think it's really a uh, ongoing process. You- you're always learning, you're always understanding what's going on. And it's really important to be in this mindset. And the last one is just quality, right? I wish that there was more rewards from management on you know, measuring quality metrics and rewarding for those metrics, whatever they are, for the developers and the security uh, community too, right? Breaking builds and things like that. I think security should be accountable for anything
3: that they do that is is also not working properly. I have to ask you. So you mentioned that you need to work with the developers where they work. Obviously you want to avoid as many mistakes as possible, you know, on the development side, what are your thoughts about how should you manage backlog vulnerabilities or backlog risks versus new vulnerabilities that are being introduced, maybe starting from feature branches before they're even merged into a production branch?
0: It's a tough one, right? I think one day Michael Howard, you know, once was asked about why there are so many defects in Microsoft products and, you know, why there are so many patches. And he said, there are so many patches because we're doing our job, right? And I thought it was a very good answer to the question, you know, why you see so many vulnerabilities. So fixing is a good thing and, and should be prioritized. The fact that it's in in a backlog where it has been longer forgotten because the code is no longer the the new code can be very misleading. In fact, I think one of the most uh, critical vulnerabilities out there are a lot of times in code that has not been seen for several years. At the same time, if there's something in new code that you're developing, I think there's no excuse knowing what you know today to let it go so given all the automation given
3: all the tools and so on i think it should be fixed as as possible whenever you can it also adds to the fact that if you're always chasing the engineering teams and they can continue writing code i mean think about maybe having one app per 100 or 150 engineer you will see that engineers will continue introducing new vulnerabilities while you're chasing them and trying to reduce the backlog. So I completely agree that there must be some balance between the things that are fundamentally important to mitigate in the backlog, and you need to prioritize those, but also because of the automation, you can, and hopefully should get to the state where you get to zero new vulnerabilities, which is fairly easy. It's in the context and the mind of the developer as the right code. What,
0: one thing that is really dangerous about having a backlog and I've seen in, fortunately I've seen in previous companies is that people come and say, hey, this has been open for so many days. Why you think it's that important again, right? I mean, there was no attack, we should be good. <laughs> so the longer it stays, the, you know, the less people seem to care about it. So that's the other problem that until it becomes a reality and
2: then it's too late even in product, you know, feature development, I'll say that there's sort of two backlogs, right? There's your prioritized backlog that you're actively trying to get into development. And then there's sort of all the stuff that, you know, you tell the sales guy, oh, yes, it's in the backlog. Oh, yeah, I'm putting in the backlog. And it, it does feel the dynamic plays out in security as well, where because the backlog is so bloated or so utilized that just... The nature of it is that you have to have a, a subset that you prioritize, and then there's sort of the forgotten long tail of tickets. I'd love to, to close out today's conversation with a, a discussion of culture. And I'm just curious, Cassio, in your journey, what role has culture, as opposed to tactics or tools or process, what role has culture played in, in uh, empowering developers to impact security in a positive way?
0: Yeah, uh, I think culture is essential, right? And creating a culture of security goes way beyond just development, but really the the entire company. And you you really start, you know, creating awareness and make sure that the idea of security is always called out every single interaction that you can have from a good angle. It's not just there to be there, but really providing valuable feedback for people. Hey, you know, here that, you know, you're going to use this technology. Great. You know here are a couple of things you should consider here so it you know it takes time to actually change shift uh, a, a company culture but once you do and you start having uh, uh allies to you know developing security create an extended team that actually will look for this kind of things and want to do the right thing not only because it's the right thing but also you know potential for
3: improvement and being a better person it's really important and that should be incentivized too i think there's an additional angle not only you know to the developers there is an additional angle that is great for security that and again i think you saw that in the past casio as well the people that are upcoming to be you know great security engineers or great security architects typically grow from the from those areas where you build something and maybe people are getting excited about that. You fish those people with an F, not with a PH and, and then you build a good relationship. You build the people that have an impact on the company that are excited about what you do. And eventually in some cases you can even hire them into your team. Yes.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of people that are hired in the past are just like that near, you know, it's people who were embedded in development engineering teams. And they came to security because they were so interested, fascinated by the topic. And they brought a lot of intangibles, right? Not security knowledge per se, because that can be learned, but just the relationship, the knowledge about the product
2: architecture and so on, that really paid off ransomly for the team. Excellent. Well, I want to round things out here with a quick lightning round, Casio. And so when you're ready... If you were the leader of an anonymous hacker group, what would it be called?
0: That's a funny question because I must say that I never thought about, about that you know before. I think it would be very funny to have a hacking group that leads people to think they were hacked by elementary school. So, you know, I would love to call the group like the Wiz Academy, Kid Academy Elementary. How about that?
2: Love that. Love that uh excellent how do you take your coffee so i don't
0: drink coffee actually i have a terrible habit of drinking red bull in the morning
2: all right in a can when that's not not actually coffee that'll do and what advice would you give a young aspiring security professional it's always important
0: to do to stay curious and then be responsible right uh and, and that's that's the greatest advice i can provide
2: Excellent, and then we've added a new lightning round question this week. You get one free plug. It can be a book, a movie, a product, a peanut butter brand—anything you want. What's your plug?
0: Yeah. So, to be quite frank, I, I'm a minimalist, not materialistic person. I, you know, I when I think about products, I—they're not a lot of things like book, movies, products, things that I like, but. One thing I would tell everybody is to try uh, doing a sculling in a single shell. You know, it's something that I've done in the past and I I love just because of the peacefulness of being the beautiful lake and the exercise you get, it's a really great way to start your morning. So if you ever have this opportunity, do wake up early and try to do that one day.
2: Love that, love that. Well, thank you, Cassio, so much for joining us today. This was a phenomenal discussion. And I so look forward to speaking with you again soon. But another excellent episode of Seeding AppSec. And looking forward to the next one.
1: That wraps up this edition of Seeding AppSec. Find and follow the podcast for more application security insights by subscribing on Spotify, Amazon, or Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Arnica's pipelineless security solution can improve your security posture, visit arnica.io or follow arnica.io on LinkedIn or Twitter. Until next time, keep secure and keep seeding AppSec.